A significant moment in history. The moment when an electronics engineer named Mitchell McAfee saw something in the sky. Something that was almost the beginning of the end of life on this earth. Here they come! This is Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. Hello and happy Thanksgiving to all our listeners across the pond. For episode 98, I'm joined by Kelly Hogeburn to talk turkey with the biggest turkey of them all, 1957's The Giant Claw. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls... Dying times here. Hello, Kelly. Hey, good evening, Eric. Good afternoon, Kelly. Right, are you ready to talk a B-movie? I am, for sure. This is a B-movie with the biggest capital B that you could possibly have, isn't it? It's a B as big as a battleship. A big as a flying battleship. A flying battleship. Oh, good Lord, good Lord. Okay, right. As as is usual on this show... uh, we first talk about when we first saw it, our backstory. How long have you known of this film and when did you actually see it? Oh gosh, I probably first saw it just five years ago and it, I've known about it for a long time, but it's one of the, there's so many of those big monster movies um, that I hadn't yet got around to. Uh, and at some point five years ago, someone told me it was like the worst, uh, the worst big monster movie out there. So then of course I had to watch it and I actually don't think it's the worst, um, but it, it still has that reputation. So. It's got a terrible reputation, hasn't it? You know? <laughs> yeah, uh, which is somewhat undeserved. I mean, there's a lot of other big monster movies that are pretty bad. Uh, so I, I'm interested to talk more about the history and the, and the reputation it has. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. I mean, the the actual story itself isn't too bad. It's let down by the effects, um, but they try and bless them. They are <laughs> they are actually trying with very with a very meager budget. They are trying, and oh, sorry, <laughs> that was a firework going off outside. Oh. I wasn't expecting it to be that loud. Um, uh, or it was a flying battleship just uh, landing on <laughs> right, something. I don't know. <laughs> but yes, I mean. For me, I mean, I've I've known the reputation of this film. I'm like you. I only saw it like five years ago or something. And I knew the reputation and I knew it from stills of the creature. And personally, the creature, I really like the creature because it is just so odd looking, isn't it? It's just very, very bizarre. Yeah, I kind of uh, feel like because the creature looks more silly and ugly than it looks scary, that that is a huge factor. Like if they had just, if the creature had just been a little more menacing, this film wouldn't have the, the reputation, you know, as, as being a turkey, or, you know, a flop. Um, but it, the creature is pretty silly looking. <laughs> it is. 
So when, when did you first, um, do you remember when you watched it or where? was it? Yeah, no, it was, it was only like five years ago. It was on TV, um, one of these like, you know, cult TV season things. And I finally got to see it. And yeah, watching it, as, as bizarre as the stills are, when you actually see this creature animated with its rolling eyes and its jaw that hangs open and closes and that terrible parrot screech thing, <laughs> um that, that 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 just raised the bar even further in oddness i think you know yeah um yeah it's definitely i i have a hard time believing that even a small child would find this film scary but then again uh, there are some scenes where it like gobbles up a person um you know so maybe maybe there's some some of your listeners out there saw it when they were little and and did have nightmares <laughs> I do wonder. I do wonder what the actual, um, you know, general public's opinion of this was, um, because there is an anecdote. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you know about it about what Jeff Morrow said. Oh yeah. About, <laughs> uh, you, you know, nobody involved with the film had seen the special effects. So bless him. I mean, when he's watching the, when he's acting, and oh, um, uh, oh, what's her name, um, Mara Corday. Um, you know, they're acting for all they're worth. They're acting proper terrified and everything, mm -hmm. aren't, aren't they? You know, yes. and yeah, they had the premiere in Jeff Murrow's hometown and he went along to the premiere and the audience just burst out laughing when it first mm -hmm. appeared. And I don't blame them, really. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I mean, if the story, you know, he snuck out um, halfway through yeah. and he felt humiliated. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> But the you know you you bring up the performances and I think um, I don't actually know how to pronounce her name but Mara Corday who of course I mean there, she did a cluster of these big monster movies you know we, you and I talked about the Black Scorpion and of course mm. Tarantula and but um, I think she's the best performance in the film I think she's a great actress but uh, Jeff Morrow did great um, the attending everyone played it straight and the the writing wasn't great but the performances were pretty good. But then to think about them sort of finally seeing the monster, yeah, I'm sure they felt embarrassed, although, of course, it wasn't their fault. <laughs> it's, it's not their fault at all. And something we were saying just earlier, you know, I think this film wouldn't have, have the reputation it has if, yes, all the effects were bad, but if they had used, like, you know, a toy pterodactyl or something like that, something that was more mainstay, you know, a, yeah. a, of a creature... Um, I don't think it would be remembered as well as it is today. It is the oddness of this very strange-looking creature. They keep calling it a bird, but it's not a bird because it's got—it's clearly got a nose and nostrils. It's like a, a a strange sort of like Sesame Street Muppet Show creature, isn't it? Uh, I don't know if I can say this on your podcast, but I kind of um, felt like it looked like an evil nightmare penis, and my <laughs> husband agreed with me, and we had a good laugh because in in it is an uncanny uh, creature, and it has you know teeth, and it has a little mohawk. Um, I love and it has mohawk. a couple giant claws, right? The claws. <laughs> a face only a mother can love. So that's a very apt way of putting it. Very apt. Very apt. All right. Oh, there's another firework or flying battleship. Oh, and my cat's getting scared now. Oh. Right. So, yeah. So, yeah, when you actually watch the film, when you sit down to watch the film, um, it was quite a surprise for me, you know, um, that, like, what is it? It's a, it's a good five minutes of the 
beginning of the film, it's all voiceover. Mm-hmm. You've got this, yeah, you know, Basil exposition just telling you everything that's going on, which right. I, I found and, kind of which odd. Which I thought, th- yeah, and uh, a lot of these films would try to um, patch the film together by using narration, and a lot of times the narration was only at the beginning. I mean, I've seen that mm. in so many old black and white films, uh, and I always think of it as a weakness when a film has to do that. But they kept the narration through the film. (laughs) And it was a little invasive and it kind of made it a silly, it kind of had a plan nine from outer space feel to it, um, which didn't do it any favors. I I tell you what, I've got here on my notes, clunky dialogue worthy of an Ed Wood film. So there you go. We're on (laughs) the same wavelength, you and I, aren't we? Yeah. So, yeah, we've got Jeff Mark. Sorry. Do you know, uh, oh, I was just going to say, um, it reminded me so much of uh, The Deadly Mantis, and they came out right about the same time, so I was wondering if you knew if the, if either of them influenced the other, because there are some major similarities there. No, I, I don't think so. I think we're just slap bang in the middle of all the giant creature monster <laughs> films, aren't we? I mean, you've mentioned the Black Scorpion and Tarantula as well. You've got them, you know, this this period of like the mid to late 50s, you had a ton of these fil- uh, films being produced because, you know, the first one's successful. Hey, let's make a, 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 a giant bug monster film or an animal film, you know? Um, yeah, it's just um, just one of many, isn't it? Yeah, it just has that whole... Um... They're talking about radar so much in the beginning of the film, just like they did with the Deadly Mantis. And um, they also, I have to mention one of my favorite things about this film, they talk about how this creature is as big as a battleship and Mm. they compare it to a battleship. I I said, I'm going to count. I'm going to count how many times. At the 15-minute mark, they had compared it to the size of a battleship seven times. And at that point, I was like, I'm, I'm done. I'm done counting. But yeah. They, that is so like funny to me that they kept referencing that. It's just a lot, isn't it? You know, just leave it at a lot. <laughs> well, in, instead of just doing one sequence, I thought we'd do all the sequences. Because right. um, they're all, all, all very interesting and worth talking about. So, yeah, this, this film, you've got this top test pilot uh, played by Jeff Murrow, um, who, who's, uh, he's, he's seen a, what he says is a huge UFO that resembles, first mention, flying battleship, um, but nothing has appeared on the radar. We see what he sees, and it, to me, it looks like there's a shadow on a sheet that's on a washing line, that first mm-hmm. thing. It's just a shadow, isn't it? Hmm. Um, but nobody believes him that they, he's seen this UFO, and that's when we get old Mara Corday um, turn up. She plays Sally, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. And and uh, they're on a plane. Oh, it, I can't remember. His surname's McAvee, isn't it? Is it Mikey? Uh, Mitch, what, I, I think, isn't it? Mitch, Mitch that's McAvee, it. Yeah. Mitch McAvee, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> they're on this plane, uh, which gets buzzed by the shadow, and. Um, yeah, the special effects in this film are, even if you exclude this odd creature, they're not really up to par, are they? I mean, they're clearly model kits on wires, you know, just hanging there. Um, and that's what you've got with their plane. When it goes very badly out of control, it goes very badly out of control very badly. Right. Um, and, and crashes. Um and we get a bit of mythology then, don't we? Because they're taken in by this stereotypical French-Canadian. <laughs> uh, who, who, uh, yeah, because this was the 50s. Right. Um, 
and and he goes out in the night. He screams, collapses, and he says he saw the Coconia. Is that how it was pronounced? The Coconia. Yeah, which apparently is a real um, French Canadian uh, myth. Um, I was surprised to read. So the Coconia. That was my yeah. next. That was my next question for you because I thought I would look it up, and but I don't know how you spell it, so <laughs> that's hard to Google it. Um, but uh, yeah, he says it's this mythical winged creature that if you see it. It's a sign that you're going to die soon, isn't it? Right. That's a sign. Yep. <laughs> it's a portent of uh, doom. That's right. Well, die laughing with this version <laughs> of the Kikonya. <laughs> yeah. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Four investigators, they fly over the area where McAvee saw his UFO. And, uh, and this, I guess, is the most famous effects sequence of the film uh, coming up. Because we get the shadow on the sheet thing, first of all. Then we get the parrot screeching noise. Mm-hmm. You, have, you, you only have this one sound effect for the creature, really. There's a little gargling noise as well, but it's just this noise. And to, I watched this about a week ago and made my notes, but last night, just to refresh myself, I thought, I'll go on YouTube and watch a bit again. There is a YouTube uh, thing, which is all the special effects of this film all put together. And it's about... 12 minutes long, 13 minutes long. And I defy anybody to watch it in one go because that <laughs> bloody parrot noise, it did not get on your wick. It is so grating after the first time. Yeah, I did not catch that they had made a, um, a montage of all of that. So did you sit through all 12 minutes? I am afraid I did. Hey, yes. Well, look at you. You're doing the... You know what? I, su- is, I suffer is... for this podcast. <laughs> you too. There is another sound effect. Uh, when the bird or creature chomps the uh, people out of the air, they do have a nice, satisfying chomp noise that they I do, found don't extremely they? gratifying. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because then we see it, don't we? After the parrot screech, and we see it, we get this fantastic close-up of this puppet, and that is what it is. It's basically a puppet. You've got two models. You've got a close-up puppet head. That's the one with the rolling eyes and the opening and closing jaws, and then you've got the actual full creature the flying one well i say flying don't really fly does it you know um but it's just it's just i mean i really do like it because it is that odd it's not for one minute believable that that would actually exist but it is just it is it is weird i mean it's got that big nose it's got the jagged teeth um i'll tell you what it looks like to me with those those huge eyes and and horrible teeth and the gnarly nose and especially the little tufty mohawk it looks like me that to me that this is like could be a chuck jones design for a looney tunes oh yeah if if that was an animation that would be something that was trying to eat bugs bunny or something you know it's like a looney tunes thing brought to life it really is it does have a cartoony quality you're right hmm yeah, and it grabs the plane in its mouth. It, it's going to do this a lot, isn't it, through the film. <laughs> yeah. It just grabs yeah. things in its mouth, which is really, really bad. Um, and as bad as that is, the next bit's even worse because we see it flapping along in a, in a long shot. So you've got this creature on wires, and then the wings are being moved separately. And it, oh, a four-year-old would be on the floor laughing at that. <laughs> I'm sure. 
dear idea. Uh, is this the scene, because it did uh, it grabbed a lot of aircraft in this film. Is this the scene where it like chucks it, uh, the plane, and the plane kind of goes, like flies down at a straight angle? It's just like the worst physics of yeah. the film, I feel like. Was that the first plane? I yeah. can't remember. Yeah, and I, 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 I tell you another problem I've got with this, all through this film, is how big is this creature meant to be? Because... It, its size varies depending on the size of the model that it's chomping on. So here you've got like, you know, almost like an airliner size plane. And that gives you an idea about how big the creature is. But shortly it's going to attack and eat a fighter plane, which fills its mouth up. And, right. But it's a different scale model. So they keep changing all the time. But yeah. there you go. Yeah, Yeah. that, that seems... Um... Uh, I've I've heard you on this podcast. You know, I mean, even someone like me who doesn't know special effects is going to catch that 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 is not the same size as what you showed us before, and nope. that is definitely a liability <laughs> in a film like this. And later on, I'm getting ahead of ourselves a bit here. You see it pick up a a car. All right, that's how how big it is. But right. then it picks up a train, <laughs> which right. the two scales are completely different. That's so true. It picks up a train a couple times. They they it really does. like the, yeah they like the train. So they had him. You know, I feel like with uh, the the plot of this film that they really quickly ran into um, like padding the film out. Uh, you know, because they pretty much, unlike the Deadly Mantis, right, they immediately know what it is. They figure out what it is pretty early on. And then they just, um, you know, can't seem to find a compelling plot line. So it just keeps picking off, you know, cars and planes and um, guys mm. on parachutes. We have a couple episodes of that, right? Well, this is coming up now because the investigators, they parachute for it, don't they? Don't they? Mm -hmm. And we get this crappy rear projection of them as they're clearly filmed in front of a cinema screen. You've got the actor hanging on a fake parachute wires and he's just in front of a cinema screen with footage of this puppet. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and they get chomped uh, yeah. with a combination of the large puppet head on the screen and then we cut to the small puppet, pu puppet chomping on models of them. Um, with that sound effect, as you say, which is quite nice. Reminds me of my cats. Like, yeah. I have four cats. So. <laughs> yeah, so they chomp. I, I feel like that is probably the only part that might have scared some a little kid watching. Is, I suppose so, because it, it is very big, isn't it? The, and the, you're the creature's very vulnerable. head is big. Yeah, the people, it's sort of like being in the water, right? You're out in the air, midair, and it just swoops by and mm. and takes a big chomp. Yeah, yeah. Well, old Sally there. I, I do like Mara Corday in this. I think you're right, you know, that she is one of the best things in the film. And and it goes against the convention of the time in that she's not there just there making the coffee and, and swooning over Jeff Morrow. You know, she is a scientist and she's the one who comes up with the idea of sending up weather balloons with cameras on. Yeah, she, uh, she and she figures out the nest. Um, yes, later, later on. Yeah, 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 they, yeah. Give her, what, they give her what, some good stuff. Why it's yeah. there, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, so they do this. They send the cameras up, and the boffins finally get a, a, a look at what they're up against. And there is a shot that I'm going to put on Facebook, which I, I, I love. He sort of, like, looks into the camera, practically <laughs> smiling. You know? it's, it's terrific. That is meant to be a scary, horrible uh, scene. Yeah. And, and you're just going... Oh, you know, yeah. he's, it he's, looks like a selfie, right? Like, it does. You know, yeah, I didn't think about that. He, he, uh, he is. He's doing a selfie. Yeah. Good Lord. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, in Washington, they order a fighter plane up to attack it, which is stock footage of a fighter plane edited with shots of the puppet. And uh, it bites the plane, um, the model of which is a totally different shape. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's completely different plane. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it eats the pilot when he parachutes. Um, same, oh, same setup again. A bird. A bird as big as a battleship, circling and preparing to attack the CAB plane. <laughs> We're, we're having a go at this film, but I actually did like the sort of basic premise that the creature is faster than anything they have. And then we're about to see in the plot, it's fairly indestructible. And so yes. what, what really can you do about it, right? That I, is true. Yeah. So I kind of like that, you know. Yeah. And, and, you know, for a B movie like this, you know, that um, is is essentially, you know, a bubblegum film. I was quite impressed that, you know, the the idea of the reason why none of the weapons are affecting of it is that there is some sort of like antimatter uh, screen around it. So everything is just being destroyed before it reaches it. I thought that was quite quite a uh, uh, a nifty idea for a B movie. Yeah, and isn't that so? Um, that's sort of where they they suddenly kind of halt um, the action to have a scientific explanation by uh, Doctor Carroll, right, Edgar mm, Barrier, yes. and he. I was wondering if if any of the um, science that they explain about atomic particles, if any of it was true, because don't they they cite some kind of particle called like a it's not magic, but there's some word like that. Um, I tried to look it up, but it was kind of like the Kakanye. I didn't know how to spell it. No, so, uh, um, I think it's a you know, that, that music, music atom or something. Yeah, or music atom. Yeah, I don't know if like that's that. a thing. I don't yeah. know if that's a thing. But yeah, I mean, it's good that it's antimatter. But the thing is about antimatter is, you know, um, antimatter can't exist in a matter world, you know, because it is antimatter, you know. If the air particles, which are matter, touch antimatter, boom, boom, everything would be gone. But it is quite nifty. It's a nifty explanation instead of just coming up with some magic force field or something like right. that, or its skin's too, you know, tough or whatever. Um, yeah, and... they're definitely trying to come up with a legitimate sounding. Uh, they were definitely trying to come up with a legitimate sounding, at least, atomic explanation, and I appreciated the effort. And I'm sure the actors do as well. They're going, oh, this is good. This is good. This is going to be a good film. Of course, they haven't seen the special effects. Right. Right. <laughs> and at, it's at this point, they also realize that it's an alien as right. well. It's, it, it's, it's, come, it's come to this planet. And at this point, it starts traveling around the world. And again, we see stock footage of like London and places like that. We're meant to believe this thing is flying at top speed around the world. Um, 
causing panic, a fantastic orgy of destruction, the voiceover says. Mm -hmm. But all it seems to do is attack lone cars and, you know, the odd person. And yeah, cattle. Yeah. They imply cattle. that it scoops up a whole lot of cows. Uh, and did they ever explain why it was flying in a spiral? Do you remember they kind of made a big deal about the pattern uh, no, being a spiral? No, I, don't, I, I don't think they did. Because yeah. I thought they were going somewhere <laughs> with that. And then all of a sudden it was just circumnavigating the globe. Yeah, well, it's meant to be circumnavigating the globe but every so often it always seems to come across our heroes yeah, wherever they might be suddenly yeah. it's there you know <laughs> dear oh dear oh dear and yes they that they realize that well sally realizes that um there must be a nest it's 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 going to lay an egg and and they do find it don't they and <clears throat> uh and they shoot the egg including sally who says she's from montana or something doesn't yeah, that she? Was, that was she's, cute I thought that was kind of interesting that they go off totally half-cocked and find the nest, and they drag poor Pierre with them, right? Yes. But uh, didn't it seem, I mean, I guess I'm, why do I care about the plot? I don't know. But it seems like if you know it's got an egg and it's going to return to the nest, that you might want to tell your military buddies and come up with yes. something strategic. But instead they just go shoot the egg and all this. Just take gross... pot shots at it with a rifle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And I guess that the the special effects of of the creature on its nest, like looking at the egg, is meant to convey that it's like you know upset that it's <laughs> egg. But it's it's a puppet with with, with this wavy yeah. hair, yeah. and it retaliates by it takes off and it just drops some twigs on our heroes. That's yeah. all it does. I turned to my husband. I said that scene is meant to convey that they were in danger because they just kind of lay down and and some assistant places these twigs on top of them very lightweight like, oh, twigs as well <laughs> they were in no danger whatsoever and then it eats the french canadian doesn't it which we and all then, knew then that was yeah, that, that yeah we knew that was coming poor pierre oh. well he had seen it you know it's yeah. a sign that he will die yes yeah and yeah off it goes it laughably picks up a toy car you know with some teenagers in it um and a toy train I don't understand every time it picks something up in its giant claws, why why does that vehicle always explode? Yeah. Did you know it's it smokes and then it goes poof like a firework. <laughs> like just like boom. Yeah. So I yeah, think that, the that was the worst off... probably the car, the old car. Yeah. Oh <laughs> no, it's all... and I love I love it when it lands on that skyscraper. And and pecks it to pieces because that's clearly just polystyrene or something, isn't it? You know. Yeah. Was that supposed to be the UN building? Was, no, that, that no, no. It does a skyscraper first, doesn't it? Okay. And, oh, and, I, and I... then and then it's the UN building. Someone goes, it's attacking the United Nations building, <laughs> and 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 it's it's just on this like building that doesn't look anything like the United Nations <laughs> building, but. Right. Uh, <laughs> and with that cry, that. that really annoying cry as well all the way um, through this but uh, they finally uh, work out a, a, a way of defeating it using these meson particles um, loaded up onto that plane which goes up and uh, eventually through a long I, I tell you what it's not a long film but it seemed very long the amount of padding that's in this yeah. and yeah. not much new happens all the way through hmm um, but they managed to shoot it um, with, yes, with, with this Mesgit, Mesic atom projector or whatever it's called. And uh, you don't actually see it get hurt or damaged. It's just doing that noise. You get the superimposed little flashes on it. 
and uh, and then it drops into the water unconvincingly, doesn't it? Yeah, the scene where they kill it is pretty anticlimactic because you can't it tell. It just kind of <laughs> dips down, and then it shows the guys in the plane in the cockpit, and they look uh, celebratory. And then you see this goofy splash, right? It just kind of yeah. if it's like if you throw something in a like a rock, it just kind of in the water, and you realize, oh, it's dead. Uh, so they they kind of uh, buffed it with that, I think, a little bit. I was watching that though uh, quite closely because when when that lands in the water, if you if you look at how big the splashes are, you can have an idea how big the ob object was. And uh, I think that puppet is about four, maybe five feet from from um, head to tail. I reckon. Yeah, that that you're right. That scene kind of takes the scale. Uh, it's just a bad scene to end on. I mean, it's not the last scene, but well, the last the scene is the last. giant claw going yes, down under the water. I yeah. was half expecting it to give the finger. Yeah, I know. I it looks was. like that, right? It's like shaking its fist. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to ask you. Well, I guess we're. We'll, I'll ask you in the special effects. I had a question about the claw itself. So. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was called the Giant Claw, and I'm guessing all the way through the film, you kept seeing the Giant Claw all the time, don't you? Yeah, the, they would have a close-up of the claw grabbing a train or, or a car, and I wanted to know, is that part of the original puppet, or do they make a separate claw like no, they did for the... No, 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 no. So what you've got, you've got that one, you know, that splashed into the water, which is about four or five foot. That's the whole one, and then you've got this... Um, you know, proper puppet head with the moving eyes and the jaw that can go up and down. Um, and then you would have had uh, larger scale claws for the terrifying moments of when you see the giant claws. Cool. That's All great. Right? Yeah. I don't know if it still exists, the model. I would think not. Mm. After the drubbing, you know, it would have uh, received on release. Um, but uh, did you know that... Um, the producers of the film before they started making it, they actually approached Ray Harryhausen to do. I did read that, and I felt extremely confused because it just seems like what what kind did they know what budget they had, or how did they have such a dramatic switch in quality? I think it's as simple as they don't know at that point how expensive Ray Harryhausen is. You know, gotcha. I think it's more like that. You know. Um, they want to make a giant creature film. They want to get on board, you know, the top man in such things. And I do wonder. I mean, the story is is pretty good. Um, mm -hmm. It's the it is the effects that let it down. I th I think if it had actually been Ray Harryhausen, obviously it would be a completely different design to this. Uh, the the effects would have been done better. It could be a pretty good, you know, fifties monster movie, couldn't it? Oh, if it had been done by Harryhausen, it would be a classic. Um, mm. You know, how even with all of the clunky writing and the padding and all of that, because, uh, you know, it's an enjoy. If, if you like old, crummy, black and white atomic monster movies, which I do and lots of people mm. do, it's, it's just fine. It's a, it's a fun film. Yeah. Um, poster art. Have you seen any of the poster art for this film? Yeah. It, was, it looks like an eagle. It does look like an eagle, and that is because the poster art was 
created before the special effects were done. So each artist that came up with a poster only had the script to go by. And because they keep saying it's a bird as big as, you know, a flying, it's like a flying battleship bird, they just perceived it as some sort of variation of, a, of an eagle or a hawk. So that's yep. why the artwork doesn't look anything like uh, what we actually see up on the screen. It looks like most of the posters don't show the head either. No. Um, they show but... just the body, which was smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, so that's that, right? So we've got Ray, <laughs> Ray Harryhausen was approached. He turned it down. It's like, we've got to get this film into production so they get some artwork done, right? The producers have to look around and find somebody else to do the special effects. And the producer was a man by the name of Sam Katzman. Um, he had found a model maker in Mexico City, okay, to construct the, the, the creature, the giant claw, okay. And he already knew that this was a low-budget model maker, okay, but he still went ahead. They were committed to it. The guy did the, the effects, brought it along, and we see what he produced and i guess it was just too late in the day to scrap it it's a bit like you know predator when they did uh, the first predator uh take was jean-claude van damme in a completely different design and it's like no this isn't working scrap it we'll start again and we'll reshoot which is how you come up with kevin peter hall in the classic costume now but of course this is low budget filmmaking you can't look at the footage and go oh we can't use that they haven't got any more money to get anybody else so they had to put it out well <clears throat> we've all we've all been there right <laughs> so <clears throat> you know it reminds me very much of uh this is spinal tap you know when they get right. the stone head it's like right. yeah <laughs> they had no make choice but to go ahead with it yeah right. make it work yeah and that's exactly <laughs> what this is and it went out like it and you know that the, the film is notorious for being one of the worst special effects films ever but I, I like it. It's got a charm to it. It is just such an odd-looking creature. And it is just done so quaintly. That's the right word for it. It's quite quaint, the effects in this. That, uh, um, you know, it's got a charm to it. Whereas yeah. other films that were very low budget and were just very poor effects, they don't have a charm. But, but because this is just so oddball... Um, I think it's got a real charm to it, this film and the special effects. And I have to say, like, I actually really liked our two main leads. Uh, you know, there there is a lot of that, you know, sexism, like he, he on the plane where he kisses her while she's sleeping. And then at mm. the end where she makes everyone sandwiches and coffee because she's the lady scientist. Putting that aside, I like I thought they were both charismatic and uh, fun to watch and um, that goes a, a little ways for me too, because um, when that when the you've got a bad monster movie and the lead actors are dull, that's that's pretty rough. But mm. I actually liked uh, Maro and Corday in this quite a bit, so uh, I was entertained. I can see why people find the film laughable, but um, I I'll probably watch it again someday. Yeah. So. yeah, that's a that's a very good way of ending it, Kelly. Um, but. Now we're at this point. You've also got to rate it. What <laughs> for the effects? Okay. Uh, I know this is difficult. Uh, I, I guess I'm going to give it a six. <laughs> yes, a it what? Is. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give it a six. Right. <laughs> I just I 
I feel like a lot of love went into it. Um, and I have a soft spot as, as a, as someone who creates for a living, uh, I understand when things just don't come together and I've got a soft spot. So. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I was thinking about it. How effective are the effects? Uh, how effective are they at, at, at making you believe that all this is real? And the answer is <laughs> not at all. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, but, but, you know, it has got a charm and it is quite sweet and I'm not going to go as high as a six. I'm, I'm only going to go a four. Okay. If I give it a right. four, then that, that, then it's a five. All right. Right. <laughs> hey, all right. I have, I have to say, uh, before we close out, um, have you seen the resin model kit? Yeah, I missed it. Where's that in my notes? Yes, there is. There is a garage kit of it. Yes, yes. It's gorgeous. It looks. It looks so much better than the monster in the film. I. Um, I know what to get you for Christmas now. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, it's. Um, I don't. I don't know if it's your type of model though, because it looks like you. I can't tell how much you put it together and how much you're just painting it. I'm not. I'm not a model person. Oh, so. I don't mind either way. I don't mind either way. Oh, I'm, I've got to look into that. No, no, I do <laughs> like him. I like the idea of having a, a quite a large, you know, hand puppet of the the, <laughs> oh, the head and neck. That you, you know, basically, you put your, your entire arm into it. You know, that would be brilliant as well. I wonder if somebody's <laughs> ever done that. Yeah, make it look at the camera, swing its little head around. To do a little selfie with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, that's, a, that's my next project. All right, I'll get on to okay. it. All right, okay. Well, thank you, Kelly. Well, thanks thank a lot. This is fun, perfect for Thanksgiving. So yes, I, yes. I appreciate the opportunity. Yes, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Um, yes, but uh, you're going to be back in a couple of weeks, aren't you? Mm-hmm. We're, yeah. stay, we're staying in the 50s in a couple of weeks. I don't want to say any more, but in two episodes' time, we're reaching the momentous episode 100. And uh, we've got something special in planned, and Kelly's back for it. So uh, I'm looking forward to that, Kelly. Don't know whether it's going to work, but if it works, uh, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with it. I think so, too. Well, stay safe with your fireworks tonight. Yes, yes, yes. All right. And everybody, uh, that side of the pond, hope you're enjoying Thanksgiving. Um, hoping your turkeys that you cook don't come out the oven looking like this one. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. Cheers, Kelly. Speak to you very, very soon. All right. Good night, Eric. Good night. That's all, folks.